So in some ways, Google Passages could take away search traffic from your website if someone is Googling something and they get the answer right away. They no longer need to go to your website to find the answer to their question. Um, so basically, it's something that Google recognizes as that contextually relevant answer to the question being asked from your website. Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scaleups, and grownups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. The advantages of securing press over advertising are obvious. Ads are companies saying good things about themselves, so they're biased. Everyone takes ads with a grain of salt because they're bragging about themselves. But press coverage is seen as neutral and impartial because now someone else is saying something good about you. It's more like a recommendation. If you're creative, you can win hearts and minds with advertising, but not trust. Trust and confidence comes from press coverage. Now, Google's editorial coverage is their search results. Top-ranking results have tremendous influence over popular perception. Google's page one search results are Google's preferred brands. But how do they decide who gets listed on page one? For hard numbers on the keywords that drive traffic to my website from Google, I use SEMrush. They have the largest, freshest database of keywords, and I use their online service to search and optimize my content so I can get found by people searching for answers to questions that I can solve. And right now, for a limited time, you can get two weeks of SEM Rush free at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEM Rush in all lowercase. Again, you can get keyword research you need to optimize your website or your client's website for free at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEM Rush, all lowercase. This is a special offer for listeners of this podcast that won't last forever. So if you're interested, do it right now. My guest today is Katie Robert. She is CEO of Trust Insights, an authority on SEO and data analytics. Prior to that, she built a multi-million dollar line of business in marketing technology, pharmaceutical, and healthcare industries. She is a Google Analytics uh, certified professional and has a master's in science uh, from, where did you go to school? Uh, my master's is from Worcester Polytechnical Institute, or WPI for short. Great. And that's a degree in marketing and technology innovation? Yep. Katie Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. It's great to have you here. Now, you wrote this white paper where you developed a process for le- le- leveraging subject matter expertise audited social media data to understand relevant subtopics. Uh, and I know that's a mouthful, mouthful so walk <laughs> us through this sort of innovative approach to discovering keywords. So the problem that we were seeing was that um, a lot of people are just doing what we're, you know, putting in the bucket of basic SEO research. And so they're using their keyword planners. They're using tools like uh, RFs and SEMrush, which are really, really, really good, robust tools. 
but the limitation is what the user is sort of thinking about and imagining um, of what my keywords might be. And so we decided to take a different tact and actually start with social media data where people are having conversations about certain topics because when you're commenting on social media, you tend to use longer phrases and sentences. And what we wanted to do was learn a little bit more around the language that people were actually using versus, you know, these are the five terms that I want my company to rank for. That might not be the way that people are actually talking. Um, so what we did was we partnered with TalkWalker, uh, they're a co-author on the paper, and we actually used um, their social media export. So we, we exported data from different social media channels to get those conversational um, qualitative uh, data sets. And then, um, you know, what we did from there was we were basically just trying to figure out what are people saying what, so we used um, what is considered machine learning topic modeling to figure out what are the commonalities, what are the common terms, common phrases, um, things that stick out. And then we were able to uh, move forward with our keyword research from there. So we got very different results um, from just doing straight keyword research. So break it down for us, because I know TalkWalker has a free and a premium version. Could you just do a quick search and, and, and pull a, uh, a cloud that way uh, that shows basically density? I mean, could anyone do this or do you have to be a TalkWalker customer? You can definitely use the free version. Um, you can get, you know, those high level terms. And so if you put in topics like, you know, I think the example we use in the paper is, you know, coffee shop, for example, you want to know uh, what people are saying. And a lot of it comes down to, are you really focusing in on those intentional keywords, such as coffee shop near me or coffee shop that delivers or coffee shop open now. So it's not, you're not just ranking for coffee shop, but you're also thinking about the user intent, why they're searching for you in the first place. So words like latte and cappuccino and tea and words that don't contain the C word, but the, the, uh, the seed word, but are semantically related. Yeah. You want to make sure that you're catching a lot of those as well. So if you put in a broad topic, such as coffee, you would expect to see things such as latte, espresso, you know, uh, types of milk, uh, non-dairy milk or, you know, sweeteners, those types of things. But what it also comes down to is sort of using your own uh, personal judgment of, okay, I'm a coffee shop and I only serve, you know, black coffee. So I don't need to worry about things like latte and espresso. But if I, you know, specialize in those other things, then those are words that I should probably include in my research. And if I'm not, then I'm creating my own uh, gap and letting competitors take that keyword search away from me. So, so uh, walk us through this process because what you're saying is you get the you get the keywords mm -hmm. from TalkWalker. Then what do you do with them? So what we do with them is uh, topic modeling, and so topic modeling is uh, a machine learning process that essentially starts to break down all of the different conversational data that you've pulled out, all of that qualitative data and say there were, you know, as an example, 20 instances of the word espresso. There were 30 instances of the word uh, latte with extra foam. There were 40 instances of the word delivery near me, those types of things. And so what it's doing is we're extracting the data from TalkWalker from, you know, Facebook, for example. And we want to find people who are talking about 
coffee, dark roast, you know, light roast, whatever it is they're talking about and start to process it. So, you know, that second step, once we've extracted the data is topic modeling. Um, there's a lot of different, um, I think, free uh, codes. I forget the exact word. Um, open source is the word that I was looking for. Open source uh, code for doing topic modeling. You do have to have some um, language, uh, coding language expertise to be able to do it. It's not something that you can just pull off the shelf, for example. There's not a good uh, topic modeling tool. So um, we at Trust Insights have built our own version, our own proprietary version of topic modeling using a lot of that open source code to then process the data to figure out what are the commonalities, what are the terms that are kind of close to each other. So you might have uh, certain types of sweeteners near non-dairy um, milk substitutes and so trying to pair those things together or there may be words in there that you weren't even aware of uh, for example so that's sort of the next step and then after we figured out what are the common terms that people are using when they're talking about the topic of coffee then we can go ahead and do our keyword research but in the paper you said that you pull that data from talkwalker and then you basically mm -hmm. rebuild the list manually in like SEMrush and that becomes, you know, based on the volumes there, because you said, you know, that uh, social media is a great place to uh, search for relevance, but not so much volume. So my understanding reading the white paper was that you basically pull that topic cloud and which I know you can export as a, uh, as a CSV, you know, as a, as an Excel sheet mm -hmm. from Talkwalker, and then of course pull that into something like SEMrush and get a sense on volume and, and how to prioritize there. Did I misunderstand it? I mean, because I don't have the topic modeling capabilities, so could I right. do that? Would that still be a valuable process? Absolutely, and so if you don't have the topic modeling capabilities, you can do that more slimmed back version that you just described, Eric, so you can pull those conversations or that word cloud as you're describing from Talkwalker and then use that as your basis for the keyword research and use a tool such as RFs or SEMrush to try to find similar type terms. Like, so you have your seed term as you described and then pulling out those other relevant terms to find the density, the difficulty, um, those types of things that you would typically see in an SEO project. So in the white paper, you show a data visualization that you made by doing the same thing from Reddit. And Reddit's an awesome place to go for keywords and for topic modeling because all you have to do is go into a subreddit where they're talking about the topic and sort by, you know, most popular or rising, and you can mm -hmm. see what people are interested in. And so really whenever I do a podcast, I always pop in there first just to get a sense of what people are interested in in the topic that I'm talking about with, with, with subject matter expert, but you showed a way of actually exporting hard data from Reddit so that you could actually make like, you know, a word cloud. Um, mm -hmm. In your case, it was a little different, but how do you do that? So it's very much the same uh, that we just talked about sort of with the, uh, the first question. And so it's extracting all of that conversational data. The reason why we like to process our own data is because we like to take really big volumes of data. And so, um, you know, we think that the word clouds within TalkWalker are really good 
but we also like to run it through our own proprietary topic modeling software, which is essentially the same kind of thing to say, this is the most popular term, or these are the most popular terms. So we also like to get those longer phrases to see if people are saying the exact same, you know, sentence over and over again, in addition to those shorter one or two word keywords. Um, so it's very much the same process of going into Reddit, subreddits, those forums, extracting the data through Talkwalker, running it through topic modeling, and then figuring out, you know, what are the keywords? Um, you know, so, but Eric, to your point, if you don't have access to that topic modeling software, then you can look at the data, the word clouds within Talkwalker and start to do it um, a little bit more manually that way. Absolutely. But for Reddit, is there a way to export uh, keywords and hard data out of Reddit? Um, I believe, and I need to uh, just double check for a quick second. I believe everything that we pulled came directly out of Talkwalker. Um, so, but also Reddit has an API. So you can export from Talkwalker, but if you are also able to build an API directly into Reddit. So basically an API, for those who don't know, is essentially like a tunnel. So the tunnel connects from Reddit to your, you know, our studio software. And it just, you say, these are the things that I want to extract. And so you can build the API uh, to connect the two systems and say, I want to extract these things. So you can do it both ways. If you don't have an API, you can pull directly from uh, Talkwalker. Got it. And um, another thing you mentioned in the report is you said, you know, when you pull a, a list of keywords, you, you basically, before you go after them, you discount the difficult words, you know, because some words are going to be so competitive. It's like, why even go for them at, from, yeah. from off the starting block, unless you already have high authority. So when you're discounting for difficult keywords, where do you draw the line? How do you know what is too difficult and what, you know, is a, a realistic target? You know, it really depends. And so it depends on how much competition there is for that particular keyword. Like if it's a keyword like uh, Google Analytics, for example, that's a very competitive keyword. Google itself wants to be ranking for its own keywords. And so those are going to be tough to rank for. And so drawing the line is really sort of a judgment call in terms of how hard you want to fight for that particular keyword. And in order to fight for it, you need to be creating a lot of uh, content around that keyword, a lot of authoritative content. We can get into, you know, what, you know, that authority means. Um, so I, drawing the line really comes down to, you know, what kind of resources you have available to fight for keywords. And so what we try to do is we try to find keywords that are still somewhat competitive, maybe a little bit on the easy side, but irrelevant to the business. And so for a lot of our clients, you know, we look at the organic keywords versus the branded keywords, you know, because you, for, you should be ranking for the branded keywords for your own business, but the organic keywords might be things you might not be thinking about. Um, and again, that comes down to sort of like the near me or, um, you know, that search intent, um, you know, the difficulty goes uh, like in RFs, for example, on a scale of one to 100. So we start looking around, you know, 50 and below, and then we see if there's any other more difficult keywords that we want to cherry pick from there. 50 and below? What, what is 50? Uh, it's just, it's their ranking scale in terms of difficulty of how competitive it is, how many people are trying to rank for it. Um, who's, and the who's, who's ranking? 
um, companies, people that are writing content around featuring these particular keywords on their websites or in their news articles. Because I know that like in SEMrush and Ahrefs, they have these sort of arbitrary difficulty numbers. Mm -hmm. But are you saying that there's some sort of uh, consistent number that you can use across platforms? Not necessarily. Um, so, you know, the difficulty scale, what goes into it might be different in um, Ahrefs versus SEMrush. So really you just have to look at what their scale is overall. So if it's a, you know, a zero to 100 in RFs, um, then you can sort of say like, all right, I want to look at 50 and below in SEMrush. You can do the same thing. Look at their scale, what the range is and figure out what's that midpoint. Um, that's usually where we start, but again, it really depends on, you know, what the goal is of the project. You know, if someone wants to really, really be ranking for that really difficult keyword, okay, yep, we have to then figure out what is the plan to, you know, get that search traffic. Katie, what is uh, Google Passages? So Google Passages is, um, it's like a text snippet. So uh, a really good example is if you Google for marketing over coffee co-hosts, then you're going to get a little uh, passage from the marketing over coffee website, which is going to explain who the co-hosts are. So in some ways, Google Passages could take away search traffic from your website. If someone is Googling something and they get the answer right away, they no longer need to go to your website to find the answer to their question. Um, so basically, it's something that Google recognizes as that contextually relevant answer to the question being asked from your website. And, and so... You know, t talk to us a little bit about zero-click keyword searches and how the how SEOs and digital marketers are now essentially competing against Google. So zero-click is essentially um, you want to show up as the first thing um, when someone searches for, again, using the example Google Analytics, you would assume that Google comes up. Um, so if you just search for Google Analytics then whatever the first thing is that comes up that somebody is like, okay, that's the thing that I want. Um, that's going to be your zero click. And that's when, you know, nobody's leaving Google. So if Google is ranking for its own terms, then they're stealing all of the traffic that we are trying to build by trying to rank for Google terms, for example. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, um, uh, in the last week's episode, we spoke to Brian Dean, the SEO at Backlinko, and uh, his, his site is ranking number one for YouTube channel art, YouTube channel name, YouTube tags, YouTube SEO, YouTube studio, YouTube names, which is very impressive mm -hmm. in such a crowded space. So, um, it was a very rare, exclusive one-on-one -on -one with Brian Dean, and if you want to hear that, um, you know, subscribe to the podcast. You can you can get it. It's last week's show. Um, you know, news and social media monitoring is a crowded space with a lot of competitors. And if you're in the market for media monitoring, um, I tested the top platforms in the industry and wrote a report about it that you can download for free. It's got feature by feature comparisons as well as a user rating chart and reviews. It's software agnostic. I was not paid by anyone to write it. It's fluff free. And it is a deep dive in the state 
into the state of social media monitoring technology. We cover AI, it's a terrific report. So if you're a buyer of social media monitoring solutions, this guide, which took me months to write, and I personally test, tested all the platforms myself, is something you may be interested in downloading. And you can get that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring. Um, let's talk for a minute, Katie, about Google's page quality guidelines for reviewers. Uh, tell us what this project is all about. So the um, page quality guidelines for reviewers is, um, it's actually a manual. Um, hum, uh, human raters uh, rate a small section of pages based on um, 175 page manual given to Google's AI for training data. Um, and so um, an example of this, something that I actually worked on similarly when I worked in uh, the pharmaceutical industry is we were trying to do something called internet monitoring. And so basically we were trying to figure out sentiment, positive, negative. So we as humans had to actually rate based on our opinion, is this positive, is this negative, and then feed it into the system as the test data. So in any algorithm, in any AI, you always have humans up front creating that test data. And so that's what this project is. It's um, humans who are rating the quality based on the guidelines that Google have given to say, okay, this is what we, this is our criteria of what a quality page would be. So go ahead and read all of these pages and rate them. And be, that becomes the test data set for the algorithm to then go ahead and say, you've told me that these five things are quality. Let me go find the similar things and then say that those are also quality. And it's not just a static thing, right? I mean, is it AI somehow involved in neural networks? Can you explain that? Um, so in Google algorithms, AI is very much involved. So AI is essentially a series of math equations, if you really break it down to its most basic level. And what it's doing is it's taking data and running it over and over again to see, okay, I can apply this here, I can apply this here, I can apply this here, because that's what the humans have programmed it to be. So in this particular instance, humans are training the algorithm to say, this is what I want you to look for. This, these are the scores I want you to um, give to the pages that meet this criteria based on what I've told you to do. So um, the way that Google functions, the way that they're able to scale is all artificial intelligence based. So, so it's not like these, these people are going to rate my website. They might probably like the, they're going after bigger websites right now, but at some point they might, or they're going to say, we've trained the algorithm on these larger sites. So eventually when it gets to the Eric Schwartzman site, then we already know what to rank it for or what to rate it for. Right, but the idea, right, as I understand it, is they're basically having humans rate mm -hmm. um, a sample yep. and that will be applied to uh, a neural network that will then use that, those same learnings in the search algorithm over the whole internet. So it's not so much that they're gonna come rank my site, Instead, they're going to determine what is page quality based on these human reviewers. And then if I don't meet those standards, I won't be seen as high quality. Correct. 
So, so let's let's break this down for a for a bit because in your report, I know you actually mentioned a few of the passages from the expert authority and trust. This sort of EAT acronym, which has been talked about quite a bit in SEO circles about how to um, create content that has is seen as high quality. And it says, and I'll, I'll read it here, for news, Google says high quality pages should include, quote, descriptions of primary sources and other original reporting referenced, unquote. How do you interpret that? So basically the way that I interpret that is that, um, you know, so Fox News, for example, Technically, it has a high quality score, whether or not the news is always accurate is, you know, completely subjective and, you know, depends on who you're asking. Um, and so Google does some amount of fact checking. Um, but basically, they're looking for, you know, things that are not um, plagiarized. They're looking for, you know, when they say that original reporting referenced. Um, so if you're just copying and pasting someone else's news story, then obviously that's going to get a lower score. Um, they use, um, I forget exactly what it's called. It's the G delt. It's the, uh, Google, sorry, I have my notes. The Google's news database, the G delt project, um, is a good example of what's in there. And so the news sources have to register to be vetted by Google and high quality score pages should be linking to credible news sources. And so Google has its own database of those sites and sources that have been vetted. So you have to, in some way, sort of apply to become uh, part of the uh, high quality news source. So in terms of a primary source, I guess if, you, if you're reporting about news that's happening, everyone is gonna be reporting about major news that's happening. So how would Google determine a primary news, store, news source? How do you think, I mean, obviously we don't know, we're just guessing, but any thoughts on that? My gut is saying that it, you know, it might be, you know, who's first out of the gate. So one of the things you know with the internet is things move so incredibly quickly that an internet minute is really like a nanosecond. So it just, it's a blink of an eye. And so if you are not immediately first out of gate with the news story, then chances are, you know, you're already forgotten. You're in the, you, you know, you're in the past. And the attention span of consumers of the information is so fast. So that's just sort of my like off the cuff, like thinking of how it works. You know, really, I would say that it's, you know, really only Google knows. And those are some of the, you know, not to be like completely vague, but like those are the mysteries that only Google will, will ever know. But it's, you know, it's like, the, it's the early news, people who can like immediately start reporting a story from those trusted sites that have gone through the Google News database that have been vetted by Google. Sure, sure, get it out first, that makes sense. Um, they also say that the news should be accurate, but as we know, <laughs> truth is not a ranking factor. Right. So, so how do they create, or, or how, how should we, you know, as, as communicators and maybe even as public relations people, if we're doing company news or, mm -hmm. or corporate bloggers or content marketers, how do we create 
newsworthy content that Google deems as accurate if truth is not a ranking factor? What, any t what's your take on that? Um, you know, so like you said, Google's not looking at the accuracy of the news story in terms of a ranking. So it has to be, you know, a high authority uh, page that Google deems, you know, um, you know, as authoritative, like we had just talked about. And so they do some level of fact checking, but really, you know, they can't stay on top of all of it, even with their AI and algorithms. So work with a good PR firm is really, is really sort of the short answer, you know, make sure that you are doing your best to represent um, the news and work with those trusted resources to get your news out there, you know, with your byline or your company's byline, but work with them, partner with them instead of sort of like fighting against them to say, I want to, you know, get in there, you know, I want to compete against a Forbes or a Wall Street Journal, work with them is probably the best way to get the uh, more accurate news covered. Uh, Katie Robert, CEO of Trust Insights. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.